Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese Made podcast. Today, I have Sadale McCall with me. How are you, Sadale? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jessica. Well, I'm super excited to have you because we've talked before, and actually, we could talk about that too once we get to it yeah. in regards to what brought us, you know, what connected us and everything. But uh, let me read your bio, then we'll go into the wine, and then we'll go into the cheese man. Sadale is a certified wine writer telling stories of wines and winemakers that are not told enough. He is currently a contributor to the Vintner Project and Uncorked and Cultured, focused on primarily BIPOC wines and winemakers. A digital marketer by day, Sadale is passionate about his community and making sure their stories are told and highlighted in the industry. So, Welcome. We definitely have some things in common in regards to ampli, you know, like highlighting winemakers yeah, yeah. that aren't given enough um, room and, and aren't really given a lot of opportunity. So we'll discuss that. But before we get into all of the chisme, we always start with the wine. You're on the East Coast, right? I am based in Virginia. So it's it's after it's about one o'clock over there for you. It's 10 o'clock for me. But you know what? I, I do this for you guys, really. <laughs> 10 o'clock, drinking a glass of wine. It's not really for me. It's because, you know, I got, we, we have to be on the same page. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> what wine are you drinking today, Sadell? Yes, yeah, so, um, excited for this one because it's, it's a small producer um, based in Spain. It's a, it's a company called Las Cabanuelas. Um, it's a Garnacha, which is a Grenache, um, for those familiar with the grape. Um, I got it at a blind tasting, by the way, totally whiffed on it and called it a 2018 Pinot Noir, which it is not. Um, but it's delicious and, and continues to open up lots of red fruit. It's a very juicy wine. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of it. Nice. I'm actually having a Maldonado Family Vineyards 2020 Napa Valley, Chardonnay, Napa Valley Chardonnay. I've not tried this one before. So I'm always, you know, Chardonnays are very hit and miss with me because yeah. if they if they are oak barrel aged, I tend to not like it because they tend to be very buttery. They tend to be very heavy. And I'm just not like, it's just very hard for my palate to really kind of take all of that in so if they're steel barrel aged I realize oh I do like them because you're not getting as much of the oak which I know a lot of people like that I just you know obviously it's a personal preference we know that wine is very personal everybody has a different palate and uh but I've noticed that if it's more of a steel barrel age that I'm okay with it and I do tend to like it so salud this is the first time I'm having this wine and I'll tell you so now I will say this one, I know you can't really see it because of the green screen that I have, but it is definitely, it's really golden and it has a little bit, I don't know if it's my house or what, but it feels like it has a little bit of a, like a greenish tint to it. Oh, cool. So let me try it. Ooh, it's very citrusy. That's good. I like that. No, I like that. Yeah. It's definitely, I think he told me that they do like a little bit of barrel aged and then it, they finish it in steel. Nice. That, and that really helps, especially there. Yeah. So it's very like green apple when I'm smelling it on my nose. And it's very, I guess like, um, uh, lemongrass. And then when I taste it, I still, t- I taste like very, yeah, it's definitely not buttery, which is, I appreciate it. 
Yeah, I love that. I have um, John Legend's LVE Chardonnay downstairs, uh, and I'm curious if how much. Oak, I know he's a California guy, so there's there's a chance that it might get a little bit overoaked. We'll see. Yeah, I know, and those are always the things, right? And we'll go back into it because I I want to hear like how you grew up and how if you grew up around wine and all of those things. But actually, let's start there because I will ask this question sure. regardless. But I know that you're at in the you're based in Virginia, but where is that where you grew up? Did you grow up in a different area? So, uh, to I guess answer a couple parts of your question, I no, I grew up in I grew up in Richmond. Was born and raised there. Went to the University of Virginia. Now I live in Alexandria, so I've been in Virginia my whole life. But wine was definitely not a part of it. Um, as I mean, you, you can attest. You know, our community is not huge wine consumer obviously there's tons of people drinking wine um but more i grew up around dark liquors um hennessy cognac stuff like that and so not a lot of wine uh until honestly until i got out of school um that i run run into wine so um it, this is a it's only been a few years for me i suppose yeah i know and that's the thing like i i love that so many people from you know, communities of color really starting to get into wine because so many of us did not grow up with it. Like you said, like I grew up being Latina. We grew up very like beer, tequila, vodka, like, yeah, the hard liquors and kegs. Like there was always a keg at the family party or something like that. But wine was never really a part of it. And if it was, it was like the boxed Franzia or something like that (laughs) or wine coolers. I don't know if you're old enough to remember wine coolers. I don't even know. I I wonder if they still even have wine coolers. I have no idea. Um, so it was, yeah, it was very, very different. So to see how much wine has grown, not just within the consumption from community people from communities of color, but the people that are actually making it is, yeah. it's really cool to see. And I'm sure I know you agree so when was the first time you said it was like after college, but what was it like? What was that first experience with wine for you? Yeah, so well, I'll, I'll say, and I'm sure lots of people can can attest the my first experience with wine, I was not at all into it. I was like, it was like in school, uh, they did like for, for the last, our last year of school, they did like a wine tasting in the university. I'm sure mostly just like mass produced and like, probably lower quality. I don't even remember what it, what the wine was, but just like, I wasn't really a wine person anyway. So I tasted it, thought it was disgusting. Um, but afterward I started going to, I mean, when you're in Northern Virginia, there's tons of wineries and like, it's just a summer thing that people did. And that's when I really started to occur to me like, oh, there's a lot of types of wines. There's a lots of ways to drink wine and there's lots of different versions and countries and all these sorts of things. Uh, and then, so then by 2017, I went to Napa Valley and, and caught the wine bug, as many do, <laughs> um, hearing about the, uh, and just hearing about all the things you can learn about wine. And the guy was talking about the fogs and how some, uh, he has some slopes that are east facing because of the way the sun hits it. And some are south facing because of the way the sun hits it. And, and that's when I realized like, oh, wait, there's a, there's a whole world here that, that I can really explore and, and have it look back since. Yeah. Do you remember what that first wine was? Uh, at least Napa, the type? No, no, yeah, no. The first Napa, wine that you tried that you were like, hell oh, no. <laughs> you know, I think I, I went too far. It was a cab. Um, oh, that was your and first at that point, wine trying? Yes. Oh, Lordy. I didn't, I didn't know the difference. Yeah. I didn't know whether white wine, I didn't know that white wine was like lighter and, and, and had more fruit character. I mean, this was like, and again, probably some lower quality cab from some mass produced producer somewhere. And so it just, I mean, it dried my mouth out completely. And I was like, oh, wine is actually disgusting. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Okay, so my, my first, and I use the term wine very loosely when I say <laughs> this, <laughs> was like, I would sneak wine coolers, right? Like sneak wine coolers. Oh, or whatever. Nice. But yeah. my first real, well, again, I use the term wine loosely was from Boone's farm and it's, oh. it's something called strawberry Hill. Now okay. you probably are not familiar with it, but you know, 
my Latinos that are my age definitely know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and it's like a basically a strawberry flavored wine and quote unquote wine. Mm-hmm. And I was 15 and I was at my friend's quinceanera and I got tore up. Tore oh, up from the floor up. And I was supposed to spend the night at my friends and her mom picked us up. She said, nope, I'm taking her home. And I woke up with the worst hangover the next day. It was so bad. First of all, my parents didn't even know I was home. And then I wake up vomiting and Uh, my parents uh. didn't even ground me. They were like, we have softball games to go to or whatever we were doing that day. I don't, I would imagine I would have softball games, but, um, so I had to go out with them and do all of the things (laughs) That was my punishment and it sucked so hard. So That's I think it took hilarious. a while. Yeah. I think it took a while before I tried to walk quote again, wine again, real wine. Yeah. And um I feel the like the natural normal progression is normally people start with like rose and then they right. make the white. And then they'll start dabbling into the reds and everything. I feel like that's kind of been, that tends to be the natural progression in regards to people's wine journey. So what was the wine that when you went to Napa, do you remember that made you go, oh, okay. Like I see all of these things, but okay. Wine isn't so bad. Yes. A hundred percent. It was at Saintsbury um, and they are, Another thing I didn't know in Napa is that the wineries kind of specialize in like one thing. Uh, and most of the wineries here in Virginia, like there's like a whole suite of things and they're not like necessarily known for one specific thing. So Saintsbury is a Pinot Noir winery. Uh, and, and that was the first time I had a red wine that was like, oh, this is actually like pretty good. It's not, it's not over. I mean, I, I didn't know what tannins were at the time, but it doesn't dry my mouth out. It's not this kind of bitter sensation. Um, and and I thought that was like a really cool experience. And like, I mean, they're a smaller group. So like we got to like walk around in the fields and walk through some of their wineries. So I got I got hooked on on Pinot Noir from that moment on. Oh yeah. I think, you know, and I've talked about it with other wine people in regards to the the when the popularity of Pinot Noir from the movie Sideways. Yeah. And how it really kind of shit on Merlots. And I was like, Merlots are so underrated. (laughs) Yeah. Like I actually went to um, RGNY Wines in the North Fork of Long Mm -hmm. Island when I was in New York a couple weeks ago. And my favorite grape was the Merlot grape. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so good. Like, I I mean, I tried it straight off the vine and Mm -hmm. it was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I want, can I, what, tell me when you make wine out of these grapes. Cause the grapes were so good. That was my favorite one. That's hilarious. I need, I need to drink more. I do not drink enough Merlot possibly because I'm around people biased by the movie also. Um, but I have to check that out. Yes. So when was the first time, because I know that in, when, in the questionnaire that I always ask people and I ask like what their why is and everything like that. And you said that you're, you describe your life with the word opportunity. And you said that you, it's just a combination of moments where you saw opportunities and you took them on. So what made you one, want to be a storyteller and two, what made you particularly want to be a storyteller when it came to the wine aspect of things? Yeah, um, I, I think that's a fantastic way to sum up all those different points, because I think so much of I like to say I, I got lucky with how I got into wine, um, because most people get into wine in similar ways. They learn about French wine and Italian wine and like all of these like old world things that keep them in kind of a very similar path. And for me, I was lucky enough that when I got into wine, um, I had a friend, Lance, who was a distributor based here in Richmond um, and just happens to be a Black person because he and I just kind of vibed on that and we went to the same school. Um, And because of that, he introduced me to other uh, events, clubhouses, um, webinars, live streams that also happen to have people of color in them. Um, and so for me getting into wine, I wasn't even aware at the very beginning 
of how the diversity challenge that wine had because I was coming into it through people of color. But what I realized very quickly is that that was a kind of a unique path to end up in the wine industry. And what it inspired for me was that I think a lot of people, if they come into wine that way, might realize that there's a lot more to it than what feels stuffy or fancy or you have to be in a restaurant, you have to make wine in order to be in the wine industry. Um, and so what I, what I, you know, for me, whenever I see something like that, it's immediately, how can I help do something like that? And so that's how Untold Wine Stories was born, was really about trying to create that same moment for other people so that they could see like, there's a whole world of wine that is, has nothing to do with being a sommelier, has nothing to do with even being certified, um, there's a whole world of wine podcasters and people in wine that write and people in wine that, you know, come from hip hop and come from music and, and, and come from places that our community is more familiar with and comfortable with. Um, and so those are the stories that I like telling and in hopes of bringing people into the wine world through doors that they might not see for themselves just yet. Yeah. And actually, that's kind of, that's how we connected. Right. You'd yeah. reached out to me for um, an article. And actually, I don't even know what we haven't even talked in regards to what was happening for an article for Uncorked and Cultured in regards to other pathways, other other things that you can do in wine that don't necessarily have to be, you know, working at a winery or being a vintner yeah. or being like those traditional wine roles that you were talking about. So uh, and me bringing together this this pathway. And I think you're so like, so right in in regards to like, not knowing the underrepresentation, if you come in through it, the way that you did. Um, So first, thank you for like interviewing me and everything. Um, Of course, what is going on with all of that? Like, and then also, I just, I I do want to share a little bit in regards to like, how you got into it and how I got into it, because mine is very different, but very similar. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, quickly though, on, on, on Cork, the piece for Uncorked and Culture. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a contributor. I'm also on their editorial team. So I'm helping Angela over there uh, with a lot. Um, the website is launched and about to, we're about to start doing a, lot, a heavy promotion on that, which I'm super excited about. Um, and then I think there's one piece I'm, I'm actually looking at our editorial calendar right now. It should be out very, very soon, if not already out. Now I'm looking at the calendar and it says yesterday. Maybe I need to make that update. But either way, it will be out in the coming few days, um, partially because I wanted to make sure that we launched the website first and then put all our energy into the articles that came out thereafter. So yeah. Um, that's where it is. It's edited. We've got some really awesome pictures. I had a great time with you. Um, and there's also a couple of people. One's a, an influencer that works with brands. Uh, another is just kind of a personal influencer that's doing a, a ton. Megan Odom is doing a, a bunch of different things in the wild world. None of them, none of the people are sommeliers. None of them are making wine. None of them even came into wine in what I consider a traditional path. So I'm super excited to tell that story, hopefully uh, this week. Yeah, I can't wait to see like the others and hopefully get connected with them and everything. Because I love connecting with other people because we all have such really different stories. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and Chisme. Hey, mi gente. Gold Peak Real Brew Tea is here to unleash your sense of try. All right, can I be honest here? I'm not one who really drinks sodas, so if I'm not drinking water or wine, then you can usually find an iced tea in my hand. And since we're talking about unleashing my thirst to try something new, the next thing on my list is to go on a hot air balloon. The romance of seeing the world from that perspective makes my heart go pitter-patter And since my other half is afraid of heights, it's something that I will probably have to try by myself or with a group of friends. So mi gente, tell me, what is on your try list? To learn a new language? To travel someplace you've seen in a magazine or your favorite show? Maybe it's just trying to make some time to pamper yourself. 
ignite new passions, and rekindle new ones. So try Gold Peak then, try something else, because this taste is worth the try. Try Gold Peak. So, you know, one of the things that I shared with you in regards to how I got into wine, it was never really something that I like really got into. I just knew I liked wine and I would taste something and I'd be like, oh, I like this and kind of make a mental note of what I liked and what I didn't like. And it wasn't really until I started this podcast where I was like, that people started asking me now, the reason I named it the wine and cheese is because I do like wine and obviously being Latina and I wanted to change the word of how we use uh, chisme in, in this aspect. And, you know, I think I told you chisme means gossip in Spanish. So it's mm-hmm. literally wine, it's wine and gossip. So what we do with our friends, we have a glass of wine, we have a conversation. And I just wanted to bring that same vibe here on this podcast the difference being like, I get to meet so many new people and I really wanted it to be a reflection of who my friends are. And my friends yeah. are Latino. My friends are Asian. My friends are black. My friends come from a, across communities of color. So that's really what I wanted to focus on and be like, I want to invite people to basically kind of come into my living room and yeah. have some wine and be able to tell their story and talk. And, and that's kind of what brought it on. And as I was doing it and I was buying wine and I was, that's when I started wondering, like, are there Latino wine brands? Like, I know that we have stuff in Baja. I know that there's Chilean wines. I know that there's Argentinian wines, like, but I was very curious. And I think the curiosity stemmed from the fact of agriculture and my yeah. grandpa, you know, working the fields and working in agriculture and knowing what that demographic was. And I was like, well, there has to be wine owners. And so I, yeah. I just kind of fell into it as well. It was just my curiosity of like, there has to be, let me start looking that led me into this path of really focusing on Latina owned wine brands. And I would love to, and I also, I would love to work with some black owned wine brands as well. I have, I think one a Vietnamese, like an Asian owned wine brand that we might work together, but That's awesome. you know, I think that's really kind of what led me into this, into this path. And then realizing like when I, when it was so hard to find um, Latino wine brands and knowing how much agriculture depends on our community, that's when it really clicked for me. I was like, what the hell? Like there are less than 100 owned Latino wine brands based in the U.S. Less than 100. There are over 11,000 wine brands. Right. How is this possible? So that's kind of what led me into this path. And so I don't think I never thought about it as well. And when I started bringing it up to people, they were like, was this something that you, because I know when I brought it up to people, like, did you guys know? Did you guys know? They're, it was like something that ne- they didn't ever think of. And they were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Wow. Like, was this something that you experienced as well as you started getting into it and talking about it? For sure. I mean, I, I think every, for, for a very long time, every brand I brought up in my, on my channel or posted about or shared about, like most people, most of my followers had not heard of um, purely because, you know, they're not necessarily, like you said, they're not, necessarily, it's not that they're ignoring it. They're just not thinking about it. You go to a bar, you go, you get the wines that are there. You go to your wine shop, you get the wines that are there. And so there are not a ton of Latin or black owned wine or Asian owned wine in the places that you're in. You don't think that that exists or that that group exists. And so, um, you know, part of what I was definitely trying to do is, is say like, hey, there's this whole world. If you're in Charlotte, there's a bunch of brands out there for you. If you're in New York, there's a bunch of brands out there for you. In Chicago, I mean, every, you know, every major city has, has some of these people available. Not a ton. I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, there's probably a few more than 100 Black-owned brands, but I would say not a ton more. Um, they're probably just north of 100, but probably less than 200 or so. Um, black wine brands and so yes i think i think a lot of people aren't thinking about it but my hope is not only are they thinking about it but they're actually encountering it and starting to even try some of these wines as, as we go forward yeah i think what anybody anytime anybody tells me that they've used the directory that i created 
to yeah. find another Latino wine brand to buy. I get so excited. I get so hyped because that's why I created it. And how do you get people telling you really often, like, oh my gosh, I saw that story or, oh, wow, I tried that wine because of you. And like, what is, how does that make you feel knowing that you're, you are making an impact. And even though it might be one person at a time, that's one person more that would have, that wouldn't have known otherwise if it weren't for you. Yeah. You know, you know what it is? Well, very quickly, because I don't know if I've, I even told you this last time we spoke. The way that I even found your page originally, like I first even knew your name was because you were promoting Espresso Wines in California, which was my first time hearing about a Latino-owned wine brand. Um, and oh that's how that's how I learned your name. Obviously, since then, I bought a ton of their Riesling because it's delicious. Um, but but yes, that that I, that's one of the first ways that that I encountered you and your page before we even started working together on these pieces. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that that, that was out there. Um, I think for me, it's really the con- starting to connect people together. As much as I, I love people saying, oh, I, I just heard about this brand, I'm going to go buy them. I also love bringing the brands together. And so, you know, the Pour Up Wine is a, is a smaller brand that, you know, got to know, not necessarily just through me, but, you know, started talking to Ebony Wine and Spirits, like, in my feed and like that stuff is awesome to me to say that these brands are starting to connect with each other and starting to work together and become kind of a community that's like a a really awesome experience for me yeah oh my gosh first of all thank you so much that always means so much to me I because you know sometimes you feel like you're doing something and it's just you're yelling into a void yeah right yeah so I think that's why when anytime I hear that, I'm like, oh my gosh, it gets me a little emotional because I work really, you know, I've worked really, really hard just as I know you've worked really, really hard to amplify these, amplify these voices and brands that, and, and get eyes on them and get people to try them and not just get people to try them, but get people to learn about them because so many of these brands are very small and they yeah. don't have the system and that like, they're just, they're, you're not going to find them in grocery stores across the country. You're not going to find them. Like they're very small productions. They're very, tell me, do you feel like, and again, I am only knowing my experience and I'm always so curious when I talk to another wine person, like, do you feel like you can truly taste a difference between like a really large mass produced wine versus a very small batch independent winemaker? I think not necessarily, but I, here's where here's where I say you. I think you can is because they they put you can kind of feel, especially if you drink a lot of it. I happen to just drink a ton of very small producers, like I mean, most of the wine downstairs are one person, two person shops. These are not like massive places, and I think the amount of care they put into each bottle, I think you can get that difference when you get a big brand that Cabernet tastes like just any old Cabernet. But oftentimes when you have these smaller producers, they're trying to do something different. They're experimenting with things. Um, there's this Asian owned brand called Cho Wines that's doing um, like a Pinot Noir Blanc. That's just like crazy. It's just something send me, I just, you send know, me just that, think about. Send me that it, right? name like, again. So. About <laughs> yeah, yeah, I absolutely will. I mean, I mean, they're, because they're small and because they're experimental, they're not this big established multi-generational brand, they play around a little bit more. And so you can taste that difference. Um, Tara Wine is out, is, is out where you are. Um, and she's, she did like a Sangiovese with carbonic maceration, which is like not something I'd ever heard of. I've never heard of those two things together. You hear about like Gamay because Gamay Noir you know, uses carbonic maceration. You hear about Sangiovese and Italian wines. She put it together because she just thought it might be cool and interesting. And so I think those are the bigger differences. If they're just the same, like Pinot Noir versus Pinot Noir, probably not not a lot. But I think smaller brands take more chances, have a little bit more fun. And that's a difference I think you can really taste. Yeah, I, I agree. Because there's been wines that I've purchased that, and again, this might sound so silly or whatever. And I think maybe part of it's in my head, right? You have that yeah. effect. But like literally there hasn't been, there's been a couple of wines that I prefer more than the other. 
uh, because maybe it's a little bit sweeter than I normally like, or then I have to just find the right thing to eat it with. Yeah. All of these wines that I tend to have and tend to, um, like, I feel I just haven't had a bad experience with any of these wines. Agreed. And that's what I find very different versus like going to a store and having wine and be like, oh yeah, I don't like this. I'm never, I have not ever said that from any of these wines that I've had from these very small own vintners. Um, what has been the most unusual story you've come across? Ooh, I think I run into so many of them. Um, I think, I think, I mean, I think they're all cool in their own ways. I'm a huge fan of Brulium wines. Um, Kareth Brulium out of the Petaluma Gap um, is a woman-owned winemaker who became a doctor because her parents were like, you have to do this, like do what you want, but you have to go to vet school first. Um, And basically became a doctor, left it immediately, became a winemaker, which is like super cool. I think financially, probably not the best decision, but yeah, I was about to say, oh my God, all I kept thinking was all those student loans. (laughs) Right. Um, But I think because of it, I think it changes the way she approaches wine. I think about, I think about those sorts of things a lot as Lena Wine is another example, um, South African Black female winemaker, um, the first Black winemaker, uh, female winemaker in South Africa, which is nuts when you think about the fact that South Africa is like mostly Black. Um, and she was going to get into engineering and somehow like made this pivot in her studies into viticulture and became the first black female winemaker in South Africa during, you know, during all the issues that South Africa has had between all of the the DOP system and apartheid. And I mean, they've had tons of challenges, uh, and she, to, for her to persevere for that, uh, to me, is a really, really cool story. Um, and so that, like those sorts of things really get me get me fired up. Yeah, you know what? Okay, this is going to sound really funny, but I actually just had my very first South American wine a couple of weeks ago uh, nice. when me when my boyfriend took me out for dinner. And <clears throat> now I'm going to have to remember which wine because I can't remember off the top of my head. But literally, I saw the... I saw like the wine list and the first thing I went to was South African wines because I'd never had one before. And it was a red and I'm trying to, my computer is frozen because I was going to go into his text messages because I know it's in there, Um, but it's not cooperating uh, to tell you the exact type. But I, I almost was like, I felt so ashamed that I had not tried South because I had been wanting to try South African wines for a really long time. And I almost, so I was super, super excited. It was really good. It wasn't, they were like, oh, it has this funk. It has this, but I didn't really, neither of us really tasted the funk that they were talking about. I'm not sure. We were really excited because we both kind of got these very marbly steaks and we're excited Mm -hmm. and we had, we didn't, like it didn't complement it as well as it should have because it was a lot lighter than the server was sharing it was. Right. So we ended up going to like more of a traditional cab to go with it. But, you know, I I think it, w- it was really good. It was, it was more something that me and him would have at home with like some popcorn watching a movie. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Do you know if it, it might have been Pinotage? That's one of their, that's a native South African grape, which would be, I mean, it should, it, it wouldn't be that light. It would have been more what the the waiter, waitress was talking about. Um, I, so it could, no, I, could have been that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not as out there as I think it should be. I think South African wine is still exceptionally underrated. I think there are lots of people that understand it and, 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 understand the value of it but I still think there's a lot more we can be doing in South Africa here in the U.S. Yeah and you know I've had have you had Georgian wine? Only once. It's really hard to find over here. You know what oh really so there's actually a little place a couple blocks from me that's uh it's called Whetstone Wine Bar and they always he always is very he's um Filipino and Panamanian. Mm. is the owner and uh, his name's Christian. He's really cool. He's really nice. And during the pandemic, you know, I would go over there and I would tell him like, 
this is while I'm, while I'm starting and everything. And he was the one who introduced me and they were really, really good. And then my first date with my boyfriend, we went to a Russian slash Georgian restaurant and had some Georgian wine there. And it was oh, that's really cool. good. Yeah. So I love, like, I always tell people, don't be scared. Like the worst thing is you just don't like it. Like that's the, that's the wonderful thing about wine and being able to try things is the worst thing ha- that happens is you're like, yeah, I don't like that. And you don't have it again. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting. I think wine is like people. I think we actually have more in common than people realize. And I think wine is the same way. I think wine's from Croatia or Israel or uh, Georgia, like you mentioned. I think you would find if you tried it, that there's a lot of similarities between that wine and wine you had before. You just didn't think about it because, you know, you haven't had a lot of it. And I think that's what people I think miss. They get kind of nervous about this wine is from this place I've barely heard of, you know, even the country. So perhaps it's going to be too weird for me. And you'll taste it and realize that, oh, this is actually kind of like a cross between these two wines that I've already had. And you find a new favorite. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the one thing when we talk about like old world wines and new world wines and how they're named and everything. And people don't realize that, you know, when you're looking at stuff, it's, and you're looking at old world wines, old world wines, meaning like, you know, mostly I I think it ends up being like European type of wines is when they say old world wines. And it was really one of those things that um, it's, it's named for the area. It's not. So when you say you're having a Beaujolais, well, yeah. it's coming from the area and the, the wine itself is inside is not, it's from Beaujolais, but it's not, right. a, you know, it's the grape is not a Beaujolais. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, what are the things, what are some of the things when people start asking, when they're starting to get into wine, what are the first like couple of things that you always try and like reassure people of when they're trying, when they're just starting out, when they're just trying it? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things. One, I think what you you hit on is a really important thing. And I would be, I would, I would start with that point is that especially pretty much most countries outside of the US start with the place and not with the grape. So like you're saying, Beaujolais is Gamay, but Gamay exists all over the world. It just happens to be a town called Beaujolais in France and they name it after that. Chablis is just Chardonnay. It just happens to be named for this place called Chablis in northern parts of France. Um, and, and so I, I encourage, first of all, I encourage people to not be afraid to ask questions. I think a lot of times people go into wine shops, they go into restaurants and they think they need to know what they want. Um, and they don't, they don't have to know what they want at all. Um, they, there, there are people there. That's what sommeliers are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be helping you figure out what's going to go good with your meal. Um, and there's no bad question to ask. The other thing I I would highly encourage people to do is go to as many tastings as you can. Those are the best places to do what I call low-risk tasting. So if you go to a tasting room or you go to your wine shop and they're doing a tasting, that's when you can have two sips of a Georgian wine. And you can say, okay, maybe I actually might like this, or I don't think that's for me. Maybe I need to stay closer to home, whatever your home base is. Um, but those are great places. And, you know, every place does them, every wine shop. If you have wine, you you have tastings at your, your place. Um, the last thing I would say is start with where you are and go a little bit out. Like if you're, you know, we talked about my mistake with my first wine. If you're starting that Moscato, don't try cab for a while. Like you're, you got some <laughs> yeah. steps to go before yeah. you get to something like a cab or Tanat or these big wines. If you're at Moscato, try Riesling. It's only a few couple steps away. If you're yeah. at really Riesling, maybe venture out into a really dry Riesling or think about, you know, other Chard- unoaked Chardonnays and then like take baby steps because you'll find, you'll, you'll see that you're, you'll see where your ceiling is uh, before you get too far. No, totally agree. Okay. One, uh, pro, f- pro fodder. That's the wine that we had, the South African oh, wine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard of it. I've yeah. heard of it. I have to figure out where. Uh, it's from Swartland, South Africa. Nice. 
And that's the one we had. So it was actually really, you know, it was really good. And, but it wasn't like that. They were like really hyping it up as like, this was really, really funky. So we're like, yeah, let's try it. Let's get, so I ended up with a boyfriend who is like, uh, like what we got, I guess a master bartender and he has worked in very, very, very high-end steakhouses. So he's had to develop and, and learn about wine as well. Mm, so sometimes I feel like he knows, cause he's been in, in it for so long. Sometimes I feel like he knows more about certain wines than I do. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of cool. He's a very much a whiskey person. So, but I'll, so that's the wine that we had and, and, we both were like, oh, you know, and I was like, you know what this would be good with? I'm like, cause I, when I make popcorn, I put hot sauce and Parmesan cheese on it. Oh, that's and, cool. Yeah. And he was like, oh yeah, that this would taste so perfect with your popcorn. So that's what we determined it would be good. with. <laughs> like it's a good wine. There you go. You'll have to find down. that bottle now. Yeah. It's a good wine that you can sit down that you don't have to have food with. That's what we thought. Yeah. Like, And that's always like when it's light. And I tell people, I feel like when, well, if people are starting to get into red wines, like I always tell them, start with a Beaujolais, like with a Gamay. I was cause I always think that's even lighter than a Pinot Noir. Right. And I'm like, if you, if you want something that's still light and you're still tippy toeing into it, that's usually what I suggest people start with. What, what would you suggest people start with when they're getting into reds in particular? Yeah, that's a that's a great place to start. I, I talked a little bit, if I, if I may nerd out for a second, uh, I talked a little bit about carbonic maceration and what it does for people is it starts to give you a little bit more of a fruity bubble gum, this like really drinkable sensation, which if you're a red wine, if you're not a red wine drinker, I think you're nervous about the fact that it doesn't taste drinkable because it's going to dry your palate out. It's going to make it feel bitter, you're going to get bitter, you're going to get like these other sensations that you may not like if you're a white wine drinker. I think Gamay is great. I do think I, I tend to start with Pinot Noir just because it's, I think it's the lightest red that's also still kind of a red. Like, I don't want to try to trick you into thinking it's not a red wine. Like, Pinot Noir yeah. is definitely a red wine. Um, I've, I've done that a lot. Sometimes, though, I might go back a bit and try like deep rosés. So they're like really dark kind of Cabernet to not based rosés that have some tannin, but not too much. And that at least will give me a sense of like, okay, that's even that's too far. Maybe we stay with whites for a second or like they actually kind of like that. Now let's take a step into Pinot Noir, Gamay, uh, even like really young Nebbiolo I've found has, has been useful to some people. Um, again, that's, you're making, you're taking a risk if that person is totally not a red wine drinker, but there are some really tasty Nebbiolos out there, especially in California, but even in, in Italy as well. Um, I think that's probably the, the realm I would stay in if we're just introducing people to red wine. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like I said, I think the Pinot Noir train really got going during the sideways era. Yeah. <laughs> And then Merlot. Okay. So let me ask you, what do you think your most, what is in your opinion? Cause er, here's the thing. And I've said this multiple times and I always reinforce it when I'm talking to people who also love wine is that wine is a very personal thing. Everybody yeah. has a different palate. So for example, if people have listened to my podcast multiple times, they know that I am not a fan of New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs. They're way too grapefruit forward to me. And I hate grapefruit. And that's the first thing I can taste. And so it's way too grapefruit forward for me. And I just tend to stay away from them. Um, And I'm also not a big sweet wine person. So dessert wines don't really do it for me because it's way too sweet. And I'm not a big dessert person. And if you're having a dessert wine, you need a dessert that's sweeter than your wine. And I will go, I feel like I will freaking go into sugar shock with all of that sweetness. (laughs) So what, like, so I always tell people it's very, very personal. I hate, I don't know if you've experienced this or, or not. And I think we talked about this before. Like I have seen people on like quote unquote wine experts. And I say quote unquote wine experts, because if you're a true wine expert, you're not going to tell people what to drink, right? You're going to educate them, but 
ultimately everybody has to make their own decision. And I've seen these quote unquote wine people on like TikTok or Instagram saying, oh my gosh, going to the grocery store and saying, this is trash or this is trash. And, oh, I would, I would always go with this. And some of the ones are like, oh, I would take this to an island and only drink this. I'm like, ooh, I do not like that wine. Yeah. Do you, is that something you've come across or you've experienced? And then how does that make you feel when you see those things? Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think what you said is, is perfect that if you're if you're a savvy wine expert like truly then you understand that this is a business and the more people spending money on our business the better off everybody is so if you're drinking a ton of franzia or you're drinking a ton of wine coolers or whatever the the thing is that people say is like low quality wine white zinfandel um that's growing the industry and so to say that that person shouldn't drink that because it's low quality means you don't want that person to put money in the industry that you're a part of. So you're not thinking really about the thing you're saying. Um, I think those people are the kinds of people that kind of gatekeep a little bit. And I think, I don't know if they're doing it intentionally or not, but I think the other thing that we all know, if you think about any any industry that's about diversity and inclusion, um, that's gonna disproportionately affect people of color. Like it's not a, you know, those are the people that are often drinking those things that people think are bad wines and we're excluding those people. Like that's just not good. It's not good business. It's not smart. It's gatekeeping. Um, I'm going to hop off my soapbox, but like in general, that's just a terrible thing, I think, for people to do. But no, I, I totally agree. Like there's stuff that I am not a huge fan of. I cannot get into fortified wines. I only drink them when I have to for an exam. Um so for but those who don't I know, think, please explain what fortified wines are. Yes. So um, most wine is created by yeast turning sugar into alcohol, carbon dioxide. That is like the, the way that people, most people eat wine. Um, there was a time in history where in order to keep the wine stable, they added brandy and spirits. Um, mostly in Portugal is where this started. And so that's where you get to what's called port. These are, these are wines from Portugal and they add alcohol, spirits, brandy, cognac in some cases to basically bolster the wine. So the alcohol is way higher. It's way sweeter. And in my opinion, it's way too aggressive to be wine. <laughs> um, I, I get it. I know lots of people drink it. I know you can get super aged port um, and people can have like 1800 port and that's cool. And that's amazing for everyone that likes it. You should drink it. Um, it's just, it's just, I struggle with it every time, even with food to your point, I'd have to have something so sweet that I'd be in a diabetic coma, just like get through it. Um, and it's just, it's not a, it's not an experience that I enjoy very much. Yeah. I've not tasted fortified wines just because there's a lot of wines that are, you could, if look, if you're really looking for that extra alcohol content, there's a lot of wines that are you yeah, can, sure. That you can get like like a fifteen percent alcohol content wine if you really want yeah. to. Yeah, and and you can get tons of wine that have sweetness without being fortified. You can have like late harvest riesling, which I actually enjoy quite a bit. That's really sweet, but it's not fortified. It's just sweeter than your average wine. Yeah. So I stay there. What is your favorite wine right now? Because I know it changes. Because everybody has always asked me like what's your favorite wine? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so hard. But yeah, I would say, what is. this is what I'm enjoying right now because it changes, right? If it changes on like over the summer, I was drinking a lot white, a lot of white and rosés because, and then this last week, it's been so freaking hot here in San Diego, like yeah, things that we don't normally experience. And I'm like, the last thing I want is a red wine in like right. 90 degree heat, right? So what are what are you yeah. doing right now? Chenin Blanc has been high on my list. I just for the first time ever, I got a bottle of Chenin Blanc from Soda Wine, and the next week got that same bottle of wine, um, which I almost never do because I'm usually exploring different bottles and different grapes all the time. Um, but I I just got stuck on it. I was like, this is really really tasty. And to your point, I love I love that you asked like, what wine are you enjoying? Because I'm often studying which means that's a whole different category of wines. <laughs> um, 
but right now, I mean, I'm not drinking Chin and Blanc to like learn about it. I just like, this is the glass that I'm going to drink, watch TV, hang out with my wife, hang out with my son. Like that's, that's the wine I'm into right now. Yeah. Ooh, I'm gonna, now you're going to make, see, you keep saying all these things. I'm like, okay, send me the list. Send me what you were drinking so I could go get yeah. some. <laughs> what um, stories are you working on right now? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> a lot with Uncorked and Culture. I am a freelance writer, but right now I'm helping, one, I'm what I help Uncorked and Culture get a lot of content out, but two, I'm just, I, I just have a lot of stories that I'm interested in. Um, so one, I, I want to do a, a similar piece to the one that we did um, that I'm calling affectionately Black Man Love Wine 2, um, which is this idea that I think Often in our community, what I'm finding is even in the Black community, so much of that skews female, which is great. And I think that that's a group of people that need to be told to have their stories out there. I'm writing a ton about Black women as well. Uh, but I think that there are a lot of men out there that are in the wider industry. It's also like kind of a, you know, it can be a weird stereotype, especially in my community, but I imagine yours as well, where like wine's not a manly thing to drink. Yeah. Um, and so to me, I want to, I'm really focused on how can I kind of debunk that. Um, I'm constantly looking for people that I'm super interested in. Um, I, uh, there's, and there's, I, I could spend the rest of this podcast on people I'm interested in, but, um, looking forward to finding more individuals that I'm, I want to write more about and people that I write that I'm thinking about across, across the spectrum winemakers, uh, people in restaurants, people that are social media influencers. Um, so I really am interested in trying to find more profiles of individuals. Uh, and then the last place that I really want to focus on is how we continue to expand when we mean, I think, I think, and we've talked about this a bit, that so many people, when we say BIPOC, they think of one of them. There's yeah. like BIPOC pages that are all Black or there's the BIPOC pages that are all Hispanic. And so like, how can I make sure that we're mixing cultures as much as possible? And, yes. and how can we blend those stories? That's my last area. No, I love that because first of all, it's so important. Obviously you being a black man, that's like, you know what you're, you know, like how to tap into that. Me being Latina, I know how to tap into that. But I think it's always so important for us to listen and learn from one another because we all have different experiences, even within our own communities, right? Like how many people have, don't have the same story within the black community. Every, like not everybody has the same story. Not everybody within the Latino community has the same story. So I think it's very, very important. And a lot of times our stories can co-mingle and we find things that are very similar and very, that we yeah. don't realize, but if we don't realize it if we don't listen and learn from one another. So I love that because that's something that I like is I'm very passionate about. And that's why I want to do that here, too. Um, if there's anybody that you feel like should come on, just tell me, like, I yeah. totally trust your judgment. And if you're like, Jessica, you need to interview this person. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Like, absolutely. That's awesome. I will definitely I will definitely take on that. Um, what do you want to see when it comes to stories? and like the BIPOC community in the wine world? Oh, that's a big question. I think for me, I think it's a couple of things. One, I think more cross collaboration. I think we're so much stronger together than I think we realize. And too many people, I think, think they are, they have to like compete with other black owned brands because they're, they're, you know, that that's their differentiator. That they're a black owned brand, they're a Hispanic owned brand, they're family owned, et cetera. And they feel like they have to compete with other brands. And I think that's not true. Um, but also, I think it's, it's also, to me, the fact that so many of these brands are making outstanding wine, in addition to being a brand owned by a person of color. And I think, I think sometimes we split the two, there's like the best wines out there. And they're like the minority owned wines. And I want to make sure we're saying like, actually, minorities are making some of the best wine. Um, Absolutely. so those are the two things I'm really, really focused on and hopefully can start to get some work out there in the coming months. Yes. No, I fully, fully agree with you. I'm like, just, I'm basically just your fan today. I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Sadali, I, yes. Sadale, I get it. I know it. I, yes. Like, I just feel like I'm sitting here just, you're fully preaching to the choir, fully preaching to the choir on, on everything that you're saying. Um, 
how can people reach you? How can they see your work? How can they read your articles if they want to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'd say Untold Wine Stories, which is my Instagram handle, is the hub. So most often, even when I'm writing, I'm plugging things on that page. Um, but then I would say, you know, definitely check me at uh, uncorkedandculture.com, which is where you'll you'll find a lot of my recent stories. And here, I mean, everybody come watch the Wine and Cheese Me podcast where you'll <laughs> hear me talk about wine for an hour. Yes. Um, obviously, I'm so excited that we finally got to do this. I know we had to reschedule and everything a couple of times, but it was so well worth it. I've had such yes. a great time talking to you. We need to figure out something so we can collaborate again. We need to figure something out. Um, absolutely. Would because- love that. Yes, absolutely. So if there's anything that you need, just tell me and we'll figure something out. But um, I want to make sure I give you the opportunity to say if there's anything that I haven't asked, or if there's anything else that you want to say, like, please add that now if, if you know, if there's anything else you want to add. I don't think anything I want to add, I would say the thing I would double down, first of all, I think you covered a wide variety of topics and I love being on here. Um, but I think if anyone takes anything from this podcast, it's go explore things that you don't think you've heard of before. There's no downside to running into a new wine, even if you hate it, like you've learned that you that that's not your speed and you need to go a different direction. And I think, you know, I think what we talked about a lot was all the different ways that you can explore. And that's what wine is about. It's about exploration. It's about having fun and enjoying it. So like, go find something new. So what is something new? This will be this. What is something new that you haven't tried yet that you're looking forward to trying in the wine, like wine wise? Oh, I have not done. I mean, well, first Georgian wine. I need to get back on looking. You you've inspired me to look at that. I think the other thing I haven't had enough is um, some of the more native brands. I've had a lot of. I've gone to down a path of like black owned brands, and then I've tried their, you know, Chardonnay, Cab, Peter Noir, et cetera. And I think there's a lot of grapes that that I think deserve some attention that I just have not been paying attention to. Merlot being one of them that we called out a bunch. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot more more grapes that I can explore. Okay, this was actually a question I was going to ask before, and I completely forgot. What do you what do you think is the most overrated type of wine and underrated type of wine, in your opinion? Ooh. Um, I'm gonna get in so much trouble by saying I think champagne's overrated, but I love champagne. I think champagne's really delicious. I think people love celebrating with champagne. I think there are so many more interesting sparkling wines, and I find my favorite sparkling wines are rarely champagne. Um, I would say that's overrated. Underrated. We've already talked about Merlot. I would say Malbec can also tend to be underrated. I think people think Malbec is always like bulk cheap. Malbec and I think there are some places in Argentina making some outstanding Malbec that people are just not even paying attention to um so I would say that's probably pretty underrated for me yeah I probably maybe I haven't had a good mal. I haven't had a good Malbec lately I'm not gonna lie um yeah the yeah. last couple and Malbecs people, I've had they've just been, yeah they've just been kind of like eh so and you already know what I have to <laughs> I'll have to go look some up for you. Yes. I, I think there's some really good ones out there. Yes. And I actually still owe you an email and I'm so sorry. I actually just added a couple more wine brands to the list. Um, yes. Yes. Anytime. And, you know, we're by the time this releases, we'll be right at the beginning. We'll be right uh, in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month or Latine Heritage Month. So I'm really trying to make sure people like push out the the directory so people can really explore these wines and and try them out I would love to do an entire series um you know I focus so much on Latino wine brands but you know I think it's important to focus on to show love to these other brands because there's enough out there for all of us to win and I think that's always the yeah absolutely so so Dale thank you so much for coming on the podcast I really appreciate I've had such a good time talking to you I love when I get to have these types of conversations that, you know, aren't like super, super deep that we just get to talk about wine the entire time, yeah. because, you know, a lot of times people have really amazing stories and sometimes they can get very, very deep. And I like to just throw in the lightness 
there as well and, and be able to yeah. talk about wine because I'm still learning, right? Like me and you, we're never going to stop learning about wine. Right. It's all, there's always something to learn. There's so many things. Like I swear, especially if I go to like a super high-end steakhouse, I'm like, I've never heard of this type of wine. What? <laughs> like I, there's always something new and I'm like, what is this? And I'm Googling and doing all of the things. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story and to share your thoughts and opinions in regards to what is happening in the wine world, particularly when it comes to uh, people from communities of color. Yes, this is so amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and I really appreciate you letting me share my story with people. So make sure to follow Sedale on Instagram. Make sure to go to Uncorked and Cultured and read up. And when this other stuff drops, I will let everybody know. But until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Med Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Cheese Met on our website, thewineandcheesemetpodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at the Wine and Cheese Met on Instagram at the Wine and Cheese Met Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese Met, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos!